1: Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you guys so much for joining me here today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday on all podcast platforms, as well as upload the video version onto YouTube every Wednesday as well, and you are not going to want to miss it. Thank it... Now about three weeks after Natalie went missing, Beth had another very odd encounter with Yorin's parents. About three weeks after Natalie went missing, Beth went back to Yorin's home with the purpose of leaving a prayer card in the mailbox. Beth talks a lot in her book about how her faith is what gave her the strength to wake up every day and to look for Natalie. And at this time, she was walking around the neighborhood that the Vandersloots lived in and was putting prayer cards in the mailbox. Now, when doing so is when she saw Paulus standing outside of his house, and surprisingly, Paulus told Beth to come inside so they could chat. Now, at the time, Beth was with a Fox News reporter, and both of them agreed to go inside. While inside, Beth is met with Paulus as well as Yoren's mother, Anita. It was during this meeting that Anita went on and on about how amazing Yorin is and how great her son is. However, she also noted that as of lately, he has been prone to lying. He had been disobedient and disrespectful and also concluded by saying that Yoren is seeing a psychiatrist for his behavior. Now Beth responded with this by being very matter of fact she didn't really have any sympathy for Yorin or what his mother was saying not that she needed to I don't think that she should have and she went on to say exactly what the facts were and those facts were that Yorin was the last one to see Natalie on the night that she went missing She also went on to ask Paulus a very important and telling question. And that question was that clearly Joran was being looked at as a potential suspect in a missing persons case. And you would think as the father of a suspect who is living with their son, living with this potential suspect, that Paulus would know the ins and outs, everything that happened that night. They would have gone over this story over and over again if it was the truth. He would know where Joran was that night. He would know what time he got home. He would know what he did the next day because he would want to get to the bottom of it and clear his son's name. But she reminded him that each time she asked him a question about his whereabouts, each time, meaning Beth, asked Paulus a question about his son's whereabouts, Paulus always had a very vague answer. It was, I don't know, I'm not sure, I didn't ask. And Beth thought that this was very, very odd because again, how could your son be going through being questioned as a potential suspect in a possible kidnapping and murder case and you do not know the basics of his whereabouts? She thought it was very, very odd. Now, from the very beginning of this investigation, Beth and Dave have done everything they could to find their daughter. Beth had been leading the charge and doing everything that she could to find Natalie, as well as Dave. Now, quickly, Beth and Dave realized that they were not going to be getting the proper help that they needed from the Aruban authorities. And right from the beginning, it seemed like Yorin was being protected. And a lot of that had to do with Paulus's status. So let's talk about that for a moment. Like I said, Paulus was a well-off man who was a political figure in Aruba, so he could pull some strings. The lead investigator of Natalie's case in Aruba, who was also the chief of police, was actually Joran's godfather and Paulus's best friend. So I think it's a fair statement to say that there was a clear bias going on there. Now, early on in the investigation, on June 22nd, 2005, Paulus was actually arrested for three days after the Kalpo brothers told investigators that Paulus was advising Jorin about how to get rid of a body and apparently told his son that without a body, police would have no case. So the Kalpo brothers relayed this information and it caused Paulus to get arrested for three days. But again, from the very beginning of this investigation, it was very clear to everyone that Paulus was protecting Yorin to the best of his ability and making sure everyone around him was protecting his son as well. And just as much as it was clear that Paulus was protecting Yorin, it was also very clear that the Aruban authorities were going to great lengths to cover up this case, hoping it would just brush over and go away. With Yorin's connections to law enforcement, it seemed like this case was never going to be solved. The amount of lies that Yorin has told throughout the entirety of this case, from it happening in 2005 all the way up until now, is really unimaginable and unbelievable. And it's also something that I'm not going to focus focus on too much when talking about this case because it now is solved, but we can all agree that Joran turned this case into a wild goose chase from the very, very beginning. So at this point in the investigation, about a few weeks in, the Holloways decide that they are going to build their own team of investigators, which included a private investigator named TJ Ward. Now when TJ got to Aruba and was putting all of the pieces together as to why this investigation was so corrupt, the Aruban authorities actually issued a warrant for TJ's arrest in order to get him off of the island. Now everyone, including the citizens of Aruba who heard about this case were criticizing the way that the Aruban authorities were handling it. It seemed like they were purposefully leading Natalie's parents down the wrong path from the very beginning. It even took them five days to search the car that Natalie was last seen in, so any evidence that they could find at that point was either gone or diminished. There was just a lot of very unsettling things that were happening in this investigation. For one example, in the very beginning of this case, when Natalie's father Dave arrived to the island, he was driving around when he first got there with his brother-in-law and he was trying to look for Natalie, trying to look for his daughter. And while doing this, he saw in the distance a police car with two men placing something that looked big enough to be a body in the trunk of of the car. Now, Dave immediately drove over to where this police car was, but by the time he got there, it was gone. Now, one of the detectives who was working directly with the Holloways was informed about this situation and immediately went over to that area and actually found a black belt that was in the sand. And this belt looked identical to one that Yorin had posted on social media. There was a picture on social media of Yoren pretending to choke one of his friends with this belt. And according to this detective, these belts looked very, very similar. So he turned this belt over to the Aruban authorities for forensic testing to be done, only to learn a couple days later that instead, they threw the belt away and said that it was just too big to be Yorin's, that Yorin couldn't have worn it because it was too big for him. And again, I just think that that goes to show where the Aruban authorities were at in this case, they did not take it very seriously and even when they were approached with evidence, potential evidence in front of them, it was not a concern for them. Now I want to talk about the summer of 2005 because there were multiple people arrested in connection to Natalie's case. On June 5th, so just about a week after Natalie's disappearance, there were two hotel security guards that were arrested. These security guards were named Mickey John and Abraham Jones. The arrest came after one of the Calpo brothers said that, quote, two dark colored males in a black shirt, end quote, helped Natalie inside the hotel once they dropped her back off. Now, police looked at the security footage of the Holiday Inn and learned very quickly that Natalie was never dropped back off at the hotel that night. And it was very clear that Mickey and Abraham had absolutely nothing to do with Natalie's disappearance and even Beth came out publicly and said that she did not believe it was them. So after 14 days of being in jail, Mickey and Abraham were released. Now, it was clear that these men were arrested solely for the purpose of getting the attention away from Yorin, and during the time that Abraham and Mickey were kept in jail, Yorin and the Calpo brothers were also arrested. So you had Mickey and Abraham arrested on June 5th, and then Yorin and the Calpo brothers were arrested on June 9th for suspicion of kidnapping and murder because they self-admittedly were the last people seen with Natalie the night that she went missing. So now you have all of these men that are having overlapping stays in jail. Now during their overlapping stays, the security guard Mickey had many conversations with one of the Calpo brothers, Deepak. After Mickey's release, he came forward and stated what he had spoken about with Deepak while in jail. He said, quote, I was talking to him Sunday. He told me that when he left Carlos and Charlie's, they went straight to the lighthouse. Deepak was driving, his brother was sitting in the car next to him, and the missing girl was in the back seat behind Deepak and the other guy was in the back seat behind his brother, and they drove to the California lighthouse. He didn't tell me what took." place at the lighthouse, but he told me on his way back, they stopped close to the Marriott and dropped off the missing girl and the Dutch guy, Joren." End quote. Mickey claimed that Deepak said that the reason that he initially lied to police about not knowing who Natalie was, which is something that he said, was because he thought that Natalie would just show up a couple days later and that this was all a big misunderstanding. Now again, this is something that was very common in this case, was the difference in stories from Yorin and the Kalpo brothers. From the very beginning, each of them were giving a very different version of what happened that night. Their stories went from not knowing Natalie at all to having dropped her off at the hotel to now their newest story they had when they were in jail in the very beginning, which was that the Calpo brothers dropped off Yorin and Natalie at the beach close to the Marriott hotel. Now with this new story about Yorin and Natalie being at the beach, Yorin claims that him and Natalie were together at the beach. However, he did not harm her. Now, while he claims he did not physically harm her, he did state that he left her on the beach by herself and walked home. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power. through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place.
0: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it.
1: So now with this new information that Yorin had come forward with, the Kalpo brothers were released from jail on July 4th, 2005, but Yorin was kept in jail for an additional 60 days. So at this point, the search for Natalie was really picking up. Weeks turned into months. There were helicopters flying around the island looking for her. However, each time they came up with nothing. There were search parties with hundreds of people looking all throughout the beaches and in the towns, However, again, they came up empty-handed. Now, initially, the Holloway family was offering $175,000 for her safe return. Then two months later, the reward was raised to $1 million for her return or $100,000 for any information that would lead to her remains. Now, the island of Aruba itself is just under 70 miles. So this wasn't something where Natalie just got lost this giant island and it would take forever to search through because Aruba is not very big. However, it is surrounded by the ocean, which brought up even more questions when it came to what could have happened to Natalie. Now, ultimately, after spending 86 days detained, Yoren was released on September 3rd, 2005. And in the years following, this investigation was long and excruciating for Natalie's family. They were given false hopes. Hope time and time again now i want to take a second here and just kind of debrief and recap what we have learned so far. So, what we know based off of this investigation now is that Natalie went missing in the early morning hours of May 30th, 2005, and was last seen with Joran Vandersloot. We know that there are a bunch of different stories that Joran and the Calpo brothers are coming forward with saying what happened. It's very he said, she said, but their countless search efforts are still coming up empty handed when it comes to finding Natalie. I just wanted to go over that because I know that this is a lot of information. I'm throwing a lot at you, and sometimes it can be very confusing when thinking about dates and timelines and going back and forth from one date to another, and there's a lot of different theories and stories as to what Joran is saying, so I just wanted to kind of briefly recap it and just sum it up before we continue. So now let's move on to a couple years later of February 2008, and it was during this time that a Dutch TV station... "...aired what sounded to be like a confession made by Yorin." This confession was captured by an undercover journalist, and in this confession, Yorin claims that Natalie died of a drug overdose on the beach, and that him and a friend dumped her body into the ocean." He also claimed in this confession that Natalie's body would never be recovered. However, once this confession was released into the public, Jorin came forward and said that he lied about this. He said he lied about all of it and that he was just telling this journalist what he thought he wanted to hear. So not to believe this, this was a lie. Now, fast forward a couple more months to November of 2008, when Yoren appeared on Fox News and confessed that he sold Natalie into a sex trafficking ring for $100,000. But again, eight hours after this confession, Yorin emailed Fox News saying he lied. So now let's jump to several years later in February of 2010, and this is when Joran's father, Paulus, actually died of a heart attack, and this really changed the trajectory of the investigation. For the past five years, Joran had been protected by Paulus. Paulus was the one with the ties to the legal system. He had the knowledge. He was the barrier. He was the protector, and now Joran didn't have that, and it really made a lot of people question how this would affect the case. Now, shortly after Paul died, Yorin had contacted Beth's attorney, telling this attorney that for $250,000, Yorin would show the Holloway family where Natalie's remains were. Now, as you can imagine, this is an exhausting game for the Holloway family that Joran keeps putting them through. It is time after time they are disappointed from the lies that he is saying, and it is very clear to him that this is just a game. It's very clear that he's saying one thing and then pulling it away. He's dangling the carrot and then he's pulling it away. But again, from the Holloway's standpoint, they didn't want to risk it. They did not want to risk not following through with what Joran wanted because they so desperately wanted to find their daughter. They so desperately wanted to know what happened to Natalie. So they really were at Joran's mercy for quite some time. So when the Holloway family learned that Joran wanted $250,000, they decided that they were going to give him $25,000 instead. They were going to start with the 25 and then they would give him the remainder after they saw the remains, which at that point he probably would have been arrested. but this was just their thinking. So initially they did a wire transfer of $15,000 into Jorin's bank account in the Netherlands and then gave Jorin a $10,000 cash payment. Now, once Yorin received the $25,000, he told Beth's attorney that he had buried Natalie's remains under the foundation of a home in Aruba. Now, with this new information, they hit the ground running. They go to this house. They try and see if they need to dig up the foundation of the home. However, very quickly, authorities were able to debunk this new story that Joran had come up with because the house that he was referring to had actually not even been built at the time that Natalie went missing. So it, there was no plans for this house to be built. It wasn't anything like that. So they were able to throw away what Yoren was saying very quickly. They were able to debunk it. Now, surprisingly, the FBI did not file any extortion charges against Yoren at that point. Point. And in turn, this allowed him to take the money, the 25000 and he fled to Peru. So now he has $25,000 and he goes to Peru, and he has this extended vacation, he's fleeing from Aruba, he's getting away from everything, and later on, Joran would say that he lied about that location at that point because he was seeking revenge against Natalie's parents. He said, quote, I wanted to get back at Natalie's family. Her parents have been making my life tough for five years. End quote. So again, this just goes to show it's a game to Yoren at this point. So just again the moral of the story is that from 2005 all the way up until 2010 Yoren has continued to lie time and time again he has given false hope after false hope he was been arrested several times for the suspicion on Natalie's kidnapping and murder however each time he was let go because Natalie's remains were never discovered there was not enough evidence against him even though he was the last one to see her so in his mind and Yoren mind he thinks that he's going through all these trials and tribulations and so he wants to get back at the Holloway family. Now, here's when things really get turned up a notch. Here's where things get really, really just more crazier. They get crazier. On May 30th, 2010, so five years to the day of Natalie Holloway's disappearance, Yoren murdered a 21-year-old woman named Stephanie Flores at Hotel TAC in Lima, Peru. A hotel employee discovered Stephanie's body in room 309 on June 2nd, so just two days after the murder occurred. Room 309 had been registered under Joran's name and he left the hotel without checking out. Now, Yorin and Stephanie were seen at the casino playing cards together before going up to Yorin's room later that night on May 30th. Authorities believe, based off of the evidence that they have, that Yorin murdered Stephanie after he caught her Googling information about the Natalie Holloway case while she was with him. There was a tennis racket found in the hotel room, which police believe to be the potential homicide weapon. Now, on June 3rd, Yorin was arrested in Chile and extradited back to Peru the next day. Four days later, on June 7th, Yorin confessed to the murder of Stephanie, claiming that he murdered her after Stephanie went on his laptop and found information about Natalie's case. It was during this confession that Yorin told the Peruvian police that he knew where Natalie's body was. He claimed to know where it was, and he was going to help the Aruban authorities locate it. Now, luckily, Aruban and Peruvian authorities agreed to work together on this, and they did this because they wanted to be as efficient as possible in Natalie's case as well. So they agreed to cooperate together on this, and this allowed investigators from Aruba to come to Peru and interview Yorin. However, unfortunately, even though these investigators were permitted to interview Yoren, none of these interviews led to any new developments in the case. Now, in September of 2011, Dave Holloway actually filed a petition in Alabama requesting that Natalie be legally declared dead. In a statement Dave made, he said, quote, "'It is my firm, however painful, belief that my daughter Natalie is deceased and not a runaway.'" End quote. Even though the petition was filed in September, it wasn't until January of 2012 where a judge legally declared Natalie to be dead. Now, this was, of course, very hard on the family on both sides. It was hard for Dave, and it was incredibly difficult for Beth as well. This is difficult for Beth because she did not want to declare Natalie dead and tried to fight the court against this. Beth's attorney, a man named John Kelly, said, quote, Beth... Beth's position is that she has no proof or indication that Natalie is still alive, but absent any proof or indication that she is dead. She always wants to hang on to that slight glimmer of hope. No mother likes without evidence to have to declare their daughter dead. She wants to carry her around in her heart."
0: End quote. So as you can imagine, this was very difficult for Natalie's
1: family as a whole. It was an excruciating time and an excruciating process for all sides of the family. However, from Dave's perspective, he has said that he more so wanted to be able to go through the grieving process. He felt like over the years since Natalie disappeared, there were so many ups and downs and twists and turns, and he was never fully able to grieve during that time, and he truthfully believed at that point. Point that Natalie was no longer alive. So, on January 12th, 2012, is when Natalie was legally declared dead. Now, it was actually the day before, on January 11th, that Joran had pled guilty to the murder of Stephanie Flores. He was convicted and sentenced to 28 years and was ordered to pay the Flores family $75,000. Afterwards, he was transferred to a maximum security prison in Lima, Peru. Now, in 2014, Yorin actually married a Peruvian woman named Lady, who he met while she was working at the prison that he was at. She wasn't a prison guard or anything like that. She was just there selling goods to the prison, and that is how they met and formed a relationship from there. And at the time that they ended up getting married, Lady was actually seven months pregnant with their child. However, the two divorced sometime this year in 2023. Now, I want to talk about the recent developments of this case. I want to talk about the recent updates that we have and why we are here talking about this case today. Now, the reason for this is that Joran had actually recently made a plea deal. It was earlier this year that he was going to be charged for extortion and wire fraud for extorting the money from the Holloways back in 2010 when he tricked them into giving him money in exchange for showing them where Natalie was which as we know, he never did. So this was really the smoking gun that helped lead to this confession because without being able to charge Yorin for this extortion, this confession more than likely never would have taken place. I think it's crazy to think about the fact that it is a charge from 10 years, over 10 years prior, we're now talking 13 years ago when the extortion took place and now we're in 2023 and earlier this year is when Yorin was finally charged for extortion. So the plea deal went as such. So he has the 28 years for Stephanie Flores's murder. He's also going to be charged an additional 20 years for the extortion charge. However, these sentences will run concurrently. So that was a part of the plea deal. And in exchange, he was going to give all information that he knew about Natalie's case. And it was actually on June 8th, when Yorin landed in Alabama and was kept in the Shelby County Jail. And it wasn't until a few weeks ago that finally, after almost 20 years, Yoren Vandersloot confessed to the murder of Natalie Holloway. Yorin admitted that on the night of Natalie's disappearance, he had the Calpo brothers drop him and Natalie off at the beach. He claimed that while on the beach, he made several sexual advances towards Natalie, all of which she denied. Regardless of her turning him down, he claimed that he persisted and did not stop making these advances, which is what led her to knee Yorin in the groin in attempt to get him off of her. Joran said that this made him exceedingly angry, and that is when he kicked her in the face and bludgeoned her with a cinder block. Afterwards, he claimed he pushed her body off into the ocean before walking back home, and I am going to play his confession for you right now.
2: Plus, uh, she she asked to go back to her hotel, but I was just trying to get dropped off a little bit uh, further away from her hotel. So we could uh, walk back to her hotel, and I might still get a chance to to be with her. Okay, that's so what I was hoping for. Okay. So what happens? Um, yeah, Deepak drops me off at a at a place uh, a little right of the of the Marriott hotel, known as the Fisherman's Huts. Um, this place uh, is not so far from you know the next hotel is the Marriott, and the next hotel after that is is another Marriott. Uh, which is a timeshare, and then it's the the holiday in. Um, well, we we walk along the beach. Uh,
0: right. um, do Deepak and Satish get out? Come with you? Where, what what happens? Uh, uh, to uh, that?
2: Deepak and Satish leave. Uh, they uh, they leave. Uh, they go back to their home. I assume they go back to their home. Um They get in their car and they leave. Uh, I'm actually with uh, I'm actually with uh, with Natalie walking along the beach. Uh, I find a space uh, before we get to the before we get to the Marriott Hotel where I lay her down. we lay down together in the sand and uh, we start kissing each other. i start I get her to kiss me again. we start kissing each other, and uh, I start feeling her up again, and she tells me no, she tells me she doesn't want me to to feel her up. Uh, I insist, I keep feeling her up either way. Um, and uh, she knees me, uh, she ends up kneeing me in the crotch. Uh, when she knees me in the crotch, uh, I get up uh, on the beach and I kick her ex- extremely hard in, in the face. Um, yeah, she's laying down uh, unconscious, possibly even, uh, even dead, but definitely unconscious and uh, i see uh, right next to her there's a there's a huge uh, cinder block laying on the beach
0: when you say cinder block uh, looking at the walls of this uh, place is it like those
2: the exact same cinder blocks i see a huge cinder block laying on the on the beach Uh, i take this and uh yeah i i I smash her head in with it completely Uh, her face basically, you know, uh, collapses in. Even though it's dark, I can see her face is collapsed in. I decide to, to put her into the ocean. So I grab her and I, I half, uh, half pull and half walk with her into the ocean. Yeah. After that, I, I get out. I walk home.
1: So this was the chilling confession that Natalie's family had been waiting for for almost two decades. Now since this confession, Beth Holloway has released a statement that says quote, today I can tell you with certainty after 18 years that as far as I'm concerned, Natalie's case is solved. It's over. Joran Vandersloot is no longer the suspect in my daughter's murder. He is the killer. Now, there have been a lot of questions as to whether or not Yorin can be convicted for Natalie's murder. However, because the statute of limitations in Aruba is 12 years, it doesn't look very likely. However, it's not impossible. A spokesperson for the Aruba Public Prosecutor's Office did come forward and said that Yorin could face new legal action in Aruba. They said, quote, the public prosecutor's office will reiterate once more more that the Holloway case remains an open investigation in Aruba. We have requested the U S department of justice for official court documents and transcripts and all documents related to the investigation, which we will review before deciding on the procedural steps to be taken end quote. So that confession that Yorin made, that was made in Alabama, like I said. He arrived in Alabama in June and has remained in the United States and in Alabama up until fairly recently. Now, the last update we have on this case was from Monday, October 30th. And when I say the last update, I mean the last update since I am filming this episode. And that update was that Yorin was supposed to be extradited back to Peru to finish out the rest of his sentence for the murder of Stephanie Flores. However, there was a mechanical problem with the plane, which delayed the process. And on this date that I'm recording it right now, it is November. 1st 2023 and he has still been delayed but the plan to get him extradited back to peru is still in place now before we get into the final thoughts of this case if you're sitting here wondering what happened to the calpo brothers after a certain point they stopped being questioned in this case and in this investigation and to this day they still live and work in aruba so if you are wondering what happened to them There is your answer. Now, I do want to just conclude this case with a couple thoughts. I think the first and most important thought to say is clearly how the family feels as a result of Joran's confession. I have seen a lot of people in the public, as well as myself, you know, question Joran's confession, question what he is saying. And I think the most important thing to remember is that Natalie's family finally feels like they have a sense of closure. And I think that that's very apparent from Beth's statement. And I think that's very important to remember because at the end of the day, that is what's most important. It's what's most important is for the Holloway family to have that sense of closure and to have that sense of justice for their daughter. It has been a long and grueling and excruciating process to get to this point. And I'm sure that finally just having some sort of an answer is better than where they have been these past 18 years. Now, with that being said, I do want to say I've seen a lot of people question the confession, like I said, as I have myself in certain degrees. And I think that that has to do with the fact of in, in a sense, has always been The Boy Who Cried Wolf. He's always saying he's going to say what happened to Natalie, and then he never does. And he's always going to say, oh, I did this with her, and then it never happens. It's this constant cycle. It's been a snowball effect for 18 years. It's been him dangling candy in front of the Holloway's faces and then taking it away each time. It's slipping out the rug underneath him each time. And so when you think about that, it's really hard to believe anything he's saying at this point. And not only that, it's also when you look at the... Facts of what he's saying in his confession, a lot of it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, in my personal opinion. And I know a lot of people have said this too. That is, you know, when it comes to the cinder block, he never said what he did with the cinder block, and there was never a cinder block found on that beach. The second part is that Natalie's body, if he had just floated it out into the water, more than likely it would have come back and even if it didn't, there had been several boats out in the ocean searching for Natalie since day one. And so more than likely, there would have been some shred of evidence that her body was out in that ocean just floating if that was the case. I've seen a lot of people state that they still believe that Paulus played a big role in protecting Yorin from the very beginning. I've seen a lot of people state that they believe that Yorin murdered Natalie on that beach and then sunk her body in the ocean using cinder blocks, using some sort of weighted object in order for her to never be discovered. The theories for this case truthfully are endless and I don't know if we will ever know the full truth about what happened to Natalie Hall Away and unfortunately her body to this day has never been recovered. However, what we do know is who is responsible for the death of Natalie Holloway and that is and has always been Joran Vandersloot and I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say, what your theories are and with that being said, you guys, that is all from me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. If you haven't already, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button that way you never miss an episode we post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday you're not going to want to miss it make sure you go check out the merch link is in the description below and I will be back next week you guys with a brand new case and I hope to see you there so until then stay safe bye guys